If you will, take your Bibles and go ahead and turn with us to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. As we uh, continue our study through the book of John, I'm reminded tonight that, uh, you know, context is king. Any good professor that I ever had would keep reminding us over at Mid-America, you can't interpret a passage of Scripture right unless you understand the context. You can't pull one passage or one verse out and say, here's what it means, unless you have understood the context in which it was written. And so we, as we walk through a book like we're doing, it really does help to build the, the flow. Uh, two weeks ago when we were together, we uh, saw that Jesus had fed the 5,000. Now that's 5,000 men, not including women and children. Some estimates are as high as twelve to 15,000 people were fed at that one meal and that 12 baskets were taken up after so that nothing would be wasted. Now that's what's happening in the first part of this chapter. And then we look, beginning in verse 15, where we left off last time, it says there, um, so Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountains by himself. Now, alone. Now, now, please hear me. Jesus understood the times. He read the crowd perfectly. He knew what was in their heart because he's God, but he also knew what was on their mind because he was right there observing the movement of the crowd and heard the, the comments. Perhaps they thought they were, were being quiet and he wouldn't hear uh, until they were ready for him to understand what they wanted. They wanted to make him their king by force. And you see, the kingdom of heaven, when, when John was preaching, John the Baptist was preaching, that repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He wasn't talking about a, a literal, physical, political uh, usurping of authority over Rome. He was talking about a kingdom in the hearts of men. And so still, Jesus is in this moment. He's just fed in that day, that lunch, out of a few fish and loaves by a boy who was just following along with the crowd. He fed all those folks. And then he understood, again, rightly, where the hearts of men and women were. Look with me in verse 16. Having understood their, their untoward plans, they weren't going to accept him by faith. They were going to make him king by force. But verse 16 goes on, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. So, they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land which they were going, or to which they were going. The next day, that is, as morning dawned, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea, that is where they had left the previous evening, uh, saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into that boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. And there came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. Remember, 
what had happened the previous day. Now the crowd is gathering from even further out. Word had spread overnight about what was happening, and more people wanted to be involved. We'll read that in just a moment. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats, those that had arrived and those that they could find readily uh, near that place, and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, or teacher, when did you get here? Now we're going to stop there for a moment in our study for tonight. And I want to begin by telling you, as the, the outline there in your, in your hand allows us to walk through this together, first of all, we have to understand the unwieldy storm. The, the unwieldy storm. First of all, you have to read this again in context and in concert with the other Gospels. Matthew and Mark both record this particular incident as well. And because we have those three to, to play off each other, to give us a, a more well-rounded picture of what was happening, we do know, first of all, that it wasn't just that they got in a boat and took off, or that as, look with me again in verse 16, now when he, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 15 ends with uh, that they wanted to make him uh, king by force, but he withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. And both of the uh, context of John in comparison to Matthew and Mark tell us that while John seems to say, oh, he wants to go away and be alone, you know, he needs to rest and have a spiritual retreat, and, he, and, and even the other gospels indicate that he was going away for some prayer, it also indicates that it wasn't just that he walked away from them, he actually constrained his disciples, get in the boat, leave now. Is, what, is, the, is the tone that you get when you read. So he was separating those men. He understood what was happening with the crowd. And so he takes these young men. Again, you have to remember, keep in mind, his disciples, he being 30, 31 years old uh, during this time, or early 30s, his disciples were much younger than him. Peter, though he, we know that he had a mother-in-law was sick and she was uh, restored to health and then immediately began to make food for them that night that she regained her health. But the reality is that the rest of them, we don't know of any man other than Peter that was married. And most scholars will tell us that Peter himself was probably mid-20s, down to John the youngest, could have been as early as 13 or 14 years old. So we're talking about a group of young men who really, <laughs> men in general, but especially young men, don't have a clue sometimes. They're just focused on, man, wasn't that a great meal? Look at this. Can you believe we've got 12 baskets left over? And he's going, boys, get in the boat. They're about to take us by force. You need to leave. I've got this taken care of because while you are learning who I am, I'm going to not only help you, but I'm going to be the one who is uh, God of very God, flesh of the, uh, the flesh and blood incarnation of deity. But I'm going to show you that in a few hours. You're going to see me. I can't tell you that now, but you need to get out of here, and I will take care of myself. And indeed he did. The unwieldy storm began, first of all, with clear direction. Boys, you need to be gone. Now, I want to stop here for a moment because while it has relevance to what has just happened and what the crowd was trying to do, it also has relevance to what is about to happen. 
And I want to share with you, again, this passage. Let's read on. Verse 17, And after getting into the boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. Have y'all ever been accused as Southerners? Some of you may not be, you know, native Southerners, but people say, what do you guys mean when you say you're fixing to? <laughs> well, we know exactly what that means. Well, that's exactly, this is a Southern uh, uh, allusion here. They started, in verse 17, to cross. They were fixing to cross the sea to Capernaum. They didn't get there. They didn't go all the way. What I want to stop here, clear direction in this unwieldy storm that's about to brew right before their very eyes. The text, both in Matthew, Mark, and now John, if you compare them, the idea is that they finished their gathering up of the food leftovers probably around 2.30 or 3 o'clock. Evening began, early evening was in that day and age, and in the Bible language began about 3 o'clock. From 3 to 6 was early evening. But then as the comparison of the three passages goes, you see that they got out on the boat and they were out at sea by 6 o'clock. Sunset had come. It had gotten, read with me in verse 17. It says it had already become dark. So now they're past that first phase of evening and they're into the night, 6 to 9 o'clock. It's getting to be late. Uh, and it says here, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Now, it wasn't that they expected him to swim out. Or even, and certainly didn't expect him to walk out to them. But John, looking back, is writing, it wasn't yet that this happened. The miracle hadn't, hadn't occurred just yet. Look with me in verse 18. The sea began to be stirred up because of a strong wind was blowing. Now, first of all, this, this lengthened delay. I don't know if the men were so excited about what they had seen happen that day where they were trying to, hey, can you move over? No, there's this basket. In fact, there's 12 baskets. I don't have anywhere to sit myself. No, I can't move. You've got to scooch over yourself. You know, you can understand what these young men might have been going through. But nobody apparently had understood that time was passing and they weren't making any progress. And then it says again, Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea began to be stirred up. It's, it's common understanding that the way the geography is around the Sea of Galilee, these mountainous uh, uh, formations around the sea, and the way that the, the winds blow, that very quickly, even today, even in modern experience, the storms on the Sea of Galilee come up very quickly. And they are radical at times. The stronger the jet stream or the storm system blowing in is, the, the faster that brewing, that tempest in a teapot kind of thing can happen. And even today, power boats are told, stay docked. Don't go out. Things are brewing quickly. Just give it a little while. It'll pass, but you need to stay docked. Power boats. Can you imagine a few young men in a rowboat with possibly a sail? It's night, and now the tempest has begun to stir the sea. Now, yes, I understand some of them were fishermen by training, by their living with their fathers and taking up family business until they were called to be his disciples and follow him to become fishers of men. But still, their experience 
And many will tell you even today that, that, that when you get out in that kind of situation with no propulsion, no safety measures in place, and you can't get to the shore, they were literally in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in the darkness of night and this storm. I, I'm going to, my wife says, I'm going to keep you on time because it's already raining and it's dark and people want to get home. Okay, guess what? Imagine tonight, except you're not in a warm chapel in a, in a secure building. You are out on the Sea of Galilee. And the storm is getting worse and worse by the minute. And you're not making any progress. You're doing everything you know innately and by training to get to the side. And all you've been able to do is get right in the middle of the storm. And that's exactly where they found themselves. Now look with me again. Verse 19 begins, Then when they had rode, uh, rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Now, before I get into that part of it, I want you to know that, again, if you read in Mark and Matthew, the same event, we are told that this happened, this coming of Jesus across the sea, walking on the storm-tossed waves, happened in the fourth watch. That's the period between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Do you understand? They had battled the struggle. They had battled the storm. They had battled the sea all night long. They were weary. They were worn. They had no help in sight. And it became not just a terrible storm around them. It was the darkest, deepest part of the night. I don't know about you. But there's been a few times in my life, having never been to the Holy Land, I know exactly where they are because I've been in that kind of situation too. And many of you can say, yes, I've been in that place too, where all the things that I thought were what God wanted. He put me in the boat. He said, boys, get out of here. He sent me on my way. God seemed to say, this is the door that you need to walk through. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And we did exactly what we were told by the Lord. And we wind up in the middle of the sea in an unparalleled storm in the darkest of nights. And we're looking around and we're saying, where's the help? What, what, what are we, we're about to die. <laughs> Several years ago, and please don't take this as a recommendation and endorsement, I don't do that with movies, but apparently this particular movie had come on TV. I don't remember us going to the theater or, or renting it. You know, you used to rent movies, you know, uh, at a, you know, at a store. <laughs> Who remembers blockbusters? <laughs> Nobody now. Uh, but we saw the movie Perfect Storm about the main fisherman. I think, uh, what's his name, uh, Clooney? was the star lead actor. And what was sad, I, I hate sad movies. I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm not like, you know, everything goes, you know, rainbows and, but, and all that. But, but I just hate a bad ending. And that was terrible. If you haven't seen the movie, it's a spoiler alert. <laughs> they all die. <laughs> I'm just, just saying, that's movie making. But it was based on a true story. They, this, this incredible once-in-a-hundred-year storm 
has brewed and these fishermen thinking that they can get out to the, the place where the fish are and pass the storm and then get back before they're, they're again plunged into the deep, they made miscalculations. It was terrible. I'm sure those young men on the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago felt that very same way. We have done everything we can. We've tried every maneuver. We've tried every way to batten down the hatches, so to speak, and nothing is getting better. In fact, we are lost without hope. In the darkest of night. Look with me. Verse 19 goes on. They saw Jesus walking on the sea. And drawing near to the boat, I want to tell you the other gospels say, and he intended to go by them. That's just something I want y'all to think about. Jesus wasn't planning to stop. I don't know what all that means. Don't ask me. I have not had time enough to mull over it. You say, well, aren't you supposed to be prepared to tell us all the answers? No. (laughs) I'm supposed to make your tongues salty So you'll go drink of the living water yourself. But what I do think is that Jesus could have gone either way. You know, Brother Steve often reminds us, some things only happen when we pray. That God does some things because it's his intention to do them, and he's going to do them whether we pray or not. But some things God does because we begin to pray. And we seek him in prayer. Look with me again. In verse 19, and they were frightened. That is, they were scared to death. They were in the middle of the worst storm of their lives, in the middle of the night, at the darkest part of the night, and what scared them was Jesus. Doesn't that tell us about ourselves? Sometimes in overwhelming circumstances, we're so expecting that we've got to figure out something. There's no hope. We've lost sight of the reality in which we stand, as believers especially, as disciples of Christ. Tonight, we live in a constant state of care and concern. The other Gospels also tell us that that he saw what was brewing from the shore. Let me just share with you, God is never uninformed or ill-informed or less informed about your situation than you are. God knows far more about what you are going through than you do. Or I do. Or anyone else here in this world does. God is perfectly capable of handling the situation. All he's wanting to see is, are you going to trust me? Even in the most difficult of moments. So we first of all we see the unwieldy storm, but as we continue, we see also the unexpected Savior. They didn't anticipate, they were so caught up with the storm that they stopped thinking about, well, what is God going to do? What is the Savior going to do? Verse 19. Again, then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the, wa- on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, read with me, It is I, do not be afraid. Now, that's how our English hearers best understand what was said, but here's the fun thing. 
Throughout the Gospels in the New Testament, there is, especially the Gospels, there is a way in which Jesus phrases several times, especially in John, because we have the, all the, of the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. All the I am statements of John are brought about by this little phrase, the way he constructs and again, words matter, folks. Words really do matter. The, the way we pronounce it in English is ego I me, or ego I me, excuse me. It means I am. And what John, the gospel writer, used that form of, of quoting Jesus and how Jesus used it, obviously he's quoting him, is to help those listeners, those Jewish listeners, understand who he was. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a healer. He's not just a great food truck for 5,000 men and their families. Jesus Christ is I am. So what they hear as he walks up to the boat, I am, fear not. Wow. <laughs> I'm getting gospel goosebumps up here, folks. <laughs> Jesus, in the midst of the storm, steps out of the blackness around them, of the uncertainty and the chaos that they are ensued in. And guess what? His first words are reminders. I am. Fear not. Isn't that a wonderful reminder? You and I are in a storm. One preacher told me many years ago, my, in fact, he, he was my... Uh, College pastor. I can see, I can still remember him telling Mike, when it comes to pastoring, you got to understand your folks, in one way or another, are like Noah. I said, Noah, I know some of my folks are old, but they're not that old. He said, No, not their age. He said, What I'm going to tell you is everyone is either headed for a storm in a storm, or just came out of a storm. Now, that's kind of a cliche. I'm not sure it was his originally. You may have heard it as well. But the reality is he used it in such a way that caught my attention, and I'm convinced. Not that the world is, you know, we're not talking about a half-empty cup mentality. We're just facing the reality that Jesus Christ spoke into the storm in the moment of need. And you and I are not brought into storms, not even sent into storms like they were, for no reason. He's always taking those things that he allows into our life and that he places in our life to bring us to the reality, I am, fear not. I am, son, fear not. Sweet daughter of mine, I am, fear not. It's an incredible reminder. It may be unexpected that he would show up, absolutely. But it was absolutely essential to their spiritual development. 
And it's absolutely essential to your development and my development as well. We need to come to the point where even in the most horrendous circumstances of life, where everything is topsy-turvy, where we can't see the hand in front of our face because the darkness encompasses us around about, where we don't know which end is up because we're looking to see how am I going to figure this out? He is calling us, child, I am. Fear not. Maybe that's what we need to hear tonight. Right where you're at. There was, yes, in their initial seeing him, a fearful response. They heard his voice and there came to them. I think as you see the transition here between chapter 6 verse 20 and, and chapter 6 verse 21, there's a change of, of mindset between where we the last word of, of 19 and the first few words of 21, that statement, I am, fear not, has totally revolutionized their thinking because now, look with me, there's a faithful reception. <laughs> okay, <laughs> look what it says. So they were willing to receive him into the boat. The word willing is that they were strongly desiring him get in the boat. <laughs> Remember what you told us earlier, Lord? Get in the boat. Well, now we're going to tell you by faith, get in the boat. You're exactly what we need in this moment. We don't know all that you're going to tell us, but we believe you are the I am. You can walk on water. We see that. You are the I am. We know that. And our hearts do not fear. We welcome you. We want you strongly. We desire you without any hesitation, without any mitigation of our feelings. We want you in our boat. It's an amazing turnaround when you and I, in the midst of our storms, recognize Jesus Christ is still the I am. He's still the one that says, fear not. Even when there's every plausible reason that the world would have us to look at and say, don't you understand? You ought to be fearful. Not when he's in the boat. Not when he's in control. Not when he's made himself known to us. We know him not only in this moment, but we know this on top of what he's already taught us. My preacher friend that told me that people are either in a storm or headed for a storm in a storm or just came out of a storm. I thought, you know what? I, you know, I, I was young, green, still learning, no doubt. But, but then I was really, really unlearned. And I thought, well, you know, Noah, you know, there was only one cataclysmic flood that covered the earth. You know, we go through, Lord, I guess that means that, that our folks have, have really got, you know, we're, we're destined. And this was, again, right out of college. We were just getting started, or right in college. I was just getting started with getting preaching opportunities. Hadn't pastored anywhere yet. Hadn't, hadn't really interacted in a, on, a, on a full-scale level. I was just part-time at a little church in, in Grand Junction, Tennessee. Praise the Lord for Hardeman County, timber capital. The reality is that now 35 years later, I realize that, well, Noah was an exceptional case, but storms 
are replete. There are many storms. There's not just one lesson God wants to tell us. There's not just one reminder He wants to allow us to, to, to experience something stretching and, and pulls us in every direction until we look at Him and say, Yes, get in the boat. Come, we want you in the boat. I want you to see what happens because a lot of folks read this passage and they miss the second miracle. Look with me. It says in verse 21, second half, right after that comma, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Maybe the thing that's keeping us from getting where we thought God was telling us is that we've been trying to do it on our own instead of letting him in the boat. Maybe the thing that God wants to do in your life and in mine is instead of us figuring out and doing it for him, he wants to say, stop. I am. Fear not. And when he gets in the boat, when he's invited, faithfully received, <laughs> Look at the forward results. Look at the forward results. Immediately, they were at the land to which they had set out. Maybe the delay in seeing God do that thing that you believe he's put on your heart is not that he doesn't want to do it any longer, not that he's changed his plan, but that you have been trying to accomplish his purposes in your power. And so he's let a storm brew around your life so that you'll look back and say, I I never could have done that in the first place. Lord, come in and do it in my life. Let me be where you're working. Don't come into where I'm working and bless my works. I can't do anything apart from you. Scripture then, very quickly, it changes. We not only see the unwieldy storm, we not only see the unexpected Savior, but we also see the uncertain search. The people were amazed. It must have been that new math. But they figured out, they saw the, day, the evening before that Jesus had gotten his disciples into the boat and sent them away and that there wasn't any other boats. But he wasn't there. And word gets out that his disciples and Jesus are waking up on the other side of the lake. So these Tiberian boats that have come up because they thought, hey, we heard about the free meal yesterday. We thought we'd get on it today. So they loaded up along with the Tiberians, these people that were waiting on him and trying to figure out where he'd gone. They got in the boats as well, and all of them went over to the other side. Now you're talking about him, them going from the northeastern part of the Sea of Galilee over to the northwestern part of the sea, to Capernaum, to Galilee. To Capernaum being the, the base of operations for Jesus' public ministry for most of his time. Yes, he went back and forth to Jerusalem, but it was really Capernaum that he had as a headquarters, if you will. He would go out and come in these tours of ministry, and he'd come back. He'd go out again, four, four different large tours of ministry over the three years. Here's the, here's the thing. When we look at them 
and what they say. It's, it's just really profound. The, the miss, the profound miss, not that they were profound, but it was profound how greatly they missed what was happening. The next day, or that we would say the, the morning after the storm and the miraculous onboarding of Jesus, and their, you, you understand, and I don't want to pass this before I just share with you, Jesus Christ says, I am, don't fear, fear not. While he is, is overwhelming matter, Okay? He's walking on water. You try that. Okay? I know some of you think that your grandchildren walk on water. I think mine do. But we really, we really know that's not, that's not the case. But Jesus actually did it. He overwhelmed matter. And then in that second miracle, he overwhelmed time. Science fiction, you know, Scotty, beam me up. We're going to appear on a planet down below without taking any time to get there except just a, a light speed transfer of your particles or whatever. We can't do that. We can't move like that. Not in the physical realm. There's laws of physics and, and movement and trajectory and all that. Motion, strength, speed, all that. We can't do that, but God did it. So don't get away from this moment because this is a miraculous thing because Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man, in that moment did what no other human being has ever done. He, he put to shame both time and matter in a single night. How does he do that? Because he is I am. He's apart from time, above time, separate from time. He created time for us. We're going to experience life one moment at a time, but Jesus sees the big picture from beginning to end. He sees the first moment that Adam breathed a breath in the garden as clearly as he sees the last person who's going to receive Christ before he comes back for his own. He sees it all in one continuous picture before him. He sees it all clearly, and none of it is out on the peripheral. It's all the focus of his mind. He doesn't have any lack of understanding or awareness at any moment of any day, of any week, of any month, of any year. He's always the I am. And in that moment, these people are wondering, how did he get there? He's I am. They missed it. They weren't looking for that, I grant you. But even when he's done something, they, they try to figure it out by their own human calculations. They can't, and they just get in the boat, and they follow. Now, look what they do. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, that is, he's not, he's not feeding here today, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, the context is going to continue. The, the story keeps going, and we're going to get into that next week. But let me just share with you a couple of things. First of all, in understanding their uncertain search, they, they couldn't figure it out. They, they, they just, okay, let's just, one boat, two trips, one night storm. No, that doesn't figure. How did 
they get over there. How could, how could he have even just took off after we were dispersed and started walking around the northern edge of the lake and gotten over there before we arrived by boat? It's just too long of a physical land journey. Well, we, we can't figure that out. We, so we're going to just stop trying, and we're going to ask a question. Rabbi, when did you get here? It sounds... Laid back, conversational, just a honest, polite question. We even called him rabbi, teacher, one of respect and authority, understanding of the scriptures. We know you're a wise man. Hey, why, why would we not get a straight answer? Because you didn't have a straight question. You weren't asking to be informed about what had happened. The scripture says, again, and we don't want to get into it, but just to give you a taste for next week. Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. That is, you weren't paying attention to the signs that I've already given you, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. These confused crowds, (laughs) they were motivated by more, more by their craving than any spiritual concern. But let me just leave you and me with this thought. As much as God had revolutionized in that night session of discipleship, those young men, there are times when people will come before the Lord, come before us, his people, and ask us questions that seem on the surface, if you just read the text, that's an that's a innocent question. But if you know with spiritual eyes what's exactly going on, and certainly Jesus understood what was in their hearts, you realize that these folks, again, weren't asking, Rabbi, where did you get, when did you get here? as if they were wanting to follow him. They weren't interested in following. He says, you were interested in being fed. You don't want to change what you're doing. You don't want to move forward spiritually. You're not interested in seeing something unique and different and new new life, eternal life, something different than you've experienced in your own flesh up to this point. What you want to do is be fed in your sameness. You want to stay right where you are and God bless you. You don't want to follow me. You just want to be fed. Let me just share with you one closing thought. There's a question there for you and me. Oh, we want, to be, we want to be in the boat. Now, as scary as that was, as stretching as that was, as stark as that picture was, oh, yeah, we want to be one of the disciples that hear him say, I am, don't fear. But how often are we also the crowds? Lord, I'm just asking you, if you'll bless me and my wife, us four, our children, us four, no more. Lord, I, I, I just want you to come in and, and say grace over what I'm already doing. Help me have enough that I can keep doing what I want to do, the way I want to do it, where I want to do it. 
I, I just want to be fed, Lord. I don't want to be followed. Mm. Father, tonight, would you come alongside of us? As you hear us pray, get in the boat. Lord, don't let us walk away from a moment of hardship and a moment of heartache, perhaps. Maybe it seems like storm after storm has brewed and we didn't see it coming. It came on quickly. Perhaps it's lasted so long and we are so weary and, and it just seems to get darker and darker and we don't look to have any hope. We're trying to figure it out just to keep our head above water. Lord, would you come into that situation? Would you appear before us even tonight? Would you do that and let us hear you speak into our situations? I am. Fear not. Father, would you in that moment, in this moment, in this evening, would you get in the boat with us? Would you take over? We release ourselves from control of life and circumstances and even our future we just give you control and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for being the one who is I am. And whatever the future holds, wherever we land, I need not fear. Father, would you also let us bar ourselves away, guard our hearts away from the idea that Somehow you're a cosmic bellhop, a concierge, a, a delivery for, for Grubhub that's just supposed to feed us where we are in our spiritual walk without us ever even saying, how am I to follow him closer? How am I to see and, and walk with him in a more life-changing, transformational way? Lord, we give you this day. We give you our lives. We give you our circumstances and say, Lord, here we are. All our storm, all our sorrow, all our struggle, would you come in and do your perfect work? We trust you. We know you to be the I am. The one who has sovereignty over time and matter has certainly the ability to step into our circumstances and resolve them in a way that brings you glory and is for our ultimate good. Father, draw us near to you, even through the storms, even through the struggle. Allow them to be reminders that you are still sovereign. You are still Savior. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.